Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I must apologise that this briefing is later than we had planned. This is due to a lengthy and ongoing sitting of the House of Keys. I'm joined on Zoom by our Director of Public Health, and our, our Health Minister has had to stay in the House of Keys. Our numbers have continued to go in the right direction. The key here, of course, is ensuring that we are not seeing unexplained cases popping up that could mean that the virus is spreading through our community unchecked. The last case where we, where we were unable to identify a clear chain of transmission was towards the end of March. This means that, all being well, Monday will be our 21st day without an unexplained case of COVID-19 on our island. As you may recall, 21 days is significant. I'll hand over to our Director of Public Health to talk a little more about this and to give you the latest figures. Dr Hewitt. Thank you, Chief Minister. Yes, uh, the formal definition of um, the end of local transmission and the point at which you cross the threshold for declaring local elimination of any infectious disease is twice the incubation period. So for COVID-19, twice the incubation period is 28 days. So we're now at that midpoint between one incubation period and two, or we will be on Monday. And we're also seeing significant numbers of tests being done each day. I think it's been running around 200 plus, and none of those have been positive in the last few days. So those indicators are very reassuring that we don't have any reservoirs of community transmission sitting out there that we're not aware of. And that's why it's really very appropriate to look at relaxing the restrictions at this point. Okay, so if I can move now to today's numbers, which I've just lost off my screen, so bear with me for a moment. So today, in total, since the start of the uh, pandemic, 49,997 tests have been concluded. There are 29 still awaiting results. In total, we've had 1,575 confirmed cases. There are no new cases to report today, and there are currently 12 active cases with no cases in hospital. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Dr Ewart, and that was excellent news. Monday, then, will be an important milestone on this outbreak. Over the past few weeks, we have gradually eased restrictions, enabling people to team up and form bubbles. We have allowed construction to return. We have allowed gatherings of up to 10 people to take place outside. And we have allowed a small number of retail outlets to reopen, albeit with the usual mitigations of social distancing and face coverings. We have also been able to reopen schools for vulnerable children and those needing to complete important assessments and the children of essential workers. As we have worked through each step of this managed exit from lockdown, we have made clear our hope to be able to lift all restrictions on or around the 19th of April. I know how important it is to be able to plan, especially for parents and for our businesses. What has been crucial throughout has been data, not simply picking a date. Our target of the 19th of April was based on there being a continued reduction in case numbers and the ability to link any new cases of COVID-19 to travel or an existing chain of transmission. 
the Council of Ministers met today and reviewed the latest data, taking advice from public health and other senior officers. We agreed that, based on the data, our society can fully reopen on Monday. All children can return to school, preschool, nursery or their childminder. Businesses can reopen, including the hospitality, indoor leisure and lifestyle sectors. All limits on gatherings will be lifted. People can return to their place of work. Sport can fully resume. The legal restrictions currently in place will be lifted at one minute past midnight on Sunday night into Monday morning. For now, our borders will remain at level four with the existing testing and isolation arrangements. I know for many of us, this lockdown has felt different. It has been tough. And a year into this pandemic, the restrictions have become more challenging to live with. The Council of Ministers recognises this. It is one of the reasons we brought in bubbles and deck chairing. We understand the strain lockdown has had on our community. And I do therefore have another announcement to make. The Council of Ministers today decided that given the current level of risk ahead of the wider opening on Monday, we are ready for people from different households to be able to gather together inside this weekend. For Saturday and Sunday, we are asking you to limit this, like outdoor gatherings, to groups of no more than 10 people. This is not a free-for-all. Please continue to act responsibly. If you can maintain social distancing, please do. And we still recommend face coverings. Increasingly, these will be personal choices. However, and we recognise that once people are in their homes, government has very limited powers or rationale for saying what can and cannot be done. I hope this will give everyone the chance to spend time with family and friends indoors before the return to a more normal routine on Monday. The change around indoor gatherings will come into effect at one minute past midnight on Friday night into Saturday morning. When restrictions were lifted at the end of our first lockdown on the 18th of June last year, we enjoyed almost seven months of near normality on our island. When the virus returned in January, working together, we once again achieved local elimination following a 25-day circuit break lockdown. After less than a month, however, the virus again took hold and we found ourselves in this, our third lockdown. Throughout this pandemic, the government's overriding priority has been the preservation of life. It is truly heart-wrenching to have lost 29 of our own to COVID-19 four during this outbreak. We can never know how many lives have been saved from the measures we have put in place, but our collective determination as a community to beat the virus has undoubtedly protected people from its ravages. And although we have done all we can to preserve life, we cannot be and have not been blind to the impact this pandemic has had on lives. There have been costs to mental health and emotional well-being, to relationships, to education, and of course the cost to livelihoods, prosperity and the wider economy. Our response has always been trying to strike the right balance between the benefits and the impacts of lockdowns and border restrictions. The sacrifices made by everyone in our community have not just protected lives, they have also bought us time. 
When we entered our first lockdown, hopes of developing effective treatments to fight COVID or a vaccine seemed a considerable time away. Come our second lockdown in January, not only had vaccines been developed and tested, we were beginning to roll out, of the, out the largest ever mass vaccination programme here on the island. Come our third lockdown, our vaccination programme was well underway, but we needed more time to get jabs in arms and to get people protected. As things stand today, we have given at least a first dose to 93% of the people likely to be most vulnerable to the virus. This is a game changer. The vaccines will work to protect our most vulnerable from serious disease and death. As we continue the vaccination programme, we will reach a pivot point in this pandemic. One where we move away from thoughts of eliminating the virus to instead mitigating its impact and learning to live with it. We are beginning our journey towards that transition today. I've said before that we want this lockdown to be our last that this is now a one-way journey. With a comprehensive mass vaccination programme in place, it will be vaccines and personal choices each and every one of us makes, rather than our Manx bubble, border restrictions and lockdowns imposed by government, which will serve as our defence against the virus. No vaccine is 100% effective. Some people will still get ill with COVID, and there may unfortunately still be fatalities, as there are with other cruel diseases. But the vaccination programme will radically alter the impact the virus has on the vast majority of the population's health and therefore our society. We will of course focus our efforts on giving the best treatment possible to those who are still exposed to its risks. Adjusting will take time, I know that, but adjust we must there is every likelihood that COVID will return to our island and it will spread in our community. That is inevitable and I need you to be ready for that. Thanks to the vaccines, our response when this happens is increasingly going to be very different to what you have seen over the past 14 months. The Council of Ministers is currently working with other members of Timwald to develop our future response options. This will undoubtedly focus more on offering advice and guidance as opposed to putting in place legal restrictions to protect people, which will no longer be necessary. There will be a greater focus on personal responsibility, responsibility for businesses and organisations, and for people to do what feels right for them. We need everyone to be, to be aware of and to maintain healthy habits. That isn't just hand-washing and sanitising, but considering aspects such as the World Health Organization's three Cs, thinking about crowded spaces, confined spaces and close contact situations, thinking about personal space, thinking about fresh air. In the future, it is our goal that restrictions will only be brought in when there is a significant threat of our health services being severely impacted or overwhelmed. Our vaccination programme makes this less likely. The remaining area of concern is variants of the virus that may have mutated to such a degree that current vaccines do not offer a sufficient level of protection. 
but with boosters and ongoing vaccine developments, we can look to the future with hope. Before moving to questions, it is important for all of us to recognise that some people will feel nervous and apprehensive as we exit lockdown. People should do what they feel is right for them and their loved ones. People may wish to maintain social distancing. Some people may continue to wear face coverings. Some businesses may encourage people to continue to work from home and some people may choose to work from home. All of this is okay and as a society we must allow it and indeed encourage it. By making informed choices and by protecting ourselves we'll undoubtedly protect each other and the community as a whole. Everyone will need space and time. Please be kind, please be patient, please be understanding. Let's take some questions. And first I have Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Faster my. Good evening, Chief Minister. Um, obviously, great news that we're returning to near normal. But firstly, can I offer my condolences to the family of the person who were told passed away today? How concerned are you that this sad event could derail public confidence in the vaccines? And what measures are you taking to reassure people that this is an extremely rare and tragic event? Right. Well, unfortunately, there was um, a slight misinterpretation of the facts earlier on today. And I'm going to read out a statement that the Minister for Health and Social Care will be um, reading out to the House of Keys. As I say, the House of Keys is still um, sitting at this moment in time, dealing with important legislation. So this, had the Health Minister been able to join us today, this is what he would have said. And I just think it's really important to put this into perspective. In answer to a question from Mrs Kane in question time this morning, I stated that I was aware of one death after someone received the vaccine and they had anaphylaxis. I, had it, I have had it clarified this afternoon that although they occurred around the same time, in fact these were two separate cases. The person who had anaphylaxis, I am happy to confirm, did not die and recovered. The death I have now been informed was a different case and as I've said this morning and I quote just because someone is vaccinated and then suffers a health condition does not mean it was necessary as a result of the vaccine. I have had it confirmed late this afternoon that although the person died shortly after receiving the vaccine investigations have shown no link between the cause of death and the vaccine and there were other underlying health conditions. He would, he would then like to take the opportunity to apologise to the Honourable House for the confusion that this may have caused. Um, uh, I think Simon is also a fact this death didn't happen today. It happened a number of days ago. He was answering to the best of his abilities based on what he'd been told and there'd been a misunderstanding. So just for clarification, the person that did have a reaction did not die. There was a death at the same time by somebody who died of symptoms, underlying health conditions that had no relationship to receiving the vaccine so we have to apologize for that misinformation so hopefully that gives you the answer that's good news to to, to give you simon yeah thank well, you for that it's still bad news i hasten to add that we've had two members of our community die but um the death was not caused as a result of, of having the vaccine yeah thank you that's obviously very important um moving on to the issue of borders now when do you think you'll be able to add some meat to the bones in respect of allowing visits from close friends and relatives. 
for example, will they have to get permission before visiting or at least register? Uh, and also things like length of quarantine and will they be able to stay with families, etc. Obviously, there's an awful lot of people are desperate to know the details. Right. Well, I would. Well, obviously, working on it as as we speak, and we've had a workshop with all Timwell members to come up with a, a exit strategy, and that will be getting discussed in full in Timwell next week. Now, personally, what we're loosely looking at is that the beginning of May. We hope, subject to data um, staying the way it is, that family and people who have a legal right, who own property maybe, to come to the island, a legal entity on the island, will be able to come and visit their loved ones. Obviously, we'll need to take advice from um, our, our medics and public health, and we're still wait, um, getting information from um, a university that we're, we're, we're using that's been working uh, on various data, but we, we've had various data that numbers crunched and looked at, and it's, it's the University of Warwick, I should have said. And we, we would hope that we may be able to decrease the quarantine um, number of days down based on um, the current data staying where it is. The figures are very good in the UK, and the figures are obviously exceptionally good on the Isle of Man. So I would hope that by the... Um, end of next week we will be able to have far more detail on the borders opening for family to come and visit their loved ones on the Isle of Man. Thank you very much. Thank you very much Simon. Next we have Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon Sam, fast am I. Uh, fast am I Chief Minister. This probably would be more of a question for the health minister but maybe possible for Dr Yu to give an answer as well. We've heard, a, um, heard from a few women that they've been advised against getting their vaccine if they are pregnant or wanting to try for a baby within the next sort of 12 months. What is the, in this case, um, public health's official advice on this? Right, well, I think that's definitely one for Dr Ewart. So, Dr Ewart, would you like to take that, please? Thank you, Chief Minister. Uh, clearly, we follow the guidance from the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation on this, and they currently advise that pregnant women with no underlying health conditions that might make them specifically vulnerable to COVID should not be vaccinated during the pregnancy. Those women who have underlying conditions that mean if they were to catch COVID, they could have very serious um, side effects and complications. They should be vaccinated. And I know that Manx Care has a specific high-risk pregnancy pathway through which women who might fall in that group will get assessed and they will then be given all the information and supported by the clinicians to make the decision that's right for them as to whether the benefits outweigh the harms of the vaccination. For other women, I think you mentioned women who might be trying for a pregnancy, there is no advice to hold off vaccination while you try, because obviously that could leave you at risk of catching COVID for a considerable period of time, given how long it may take some couples to actually conceive. And there is also no evidence that receiving a vaccination and then finding you're pregnant in the weeks or months afterwards provides any risk to the, the unborn child. Um, so that's reassuring on, on that count. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Dr Ewart. And your next question, Sam. Yes, secondly, um, obviously our registration has opened for people aged over 20 for vaccine, uh, for the vaccines. And what are we going to do to encourage them to get registered and how will the plan for the rollout or the schedule 
be impacted by the JCVI advice on AstraZeneca vaccines. Well, obviously, we've got to um, use the, the vaccine that we're given. And I know we, we've said this week that the number of vaccines, jabs in the arms given um, this week and into next week will be considerably less than the over a thousand a day we've been doing because of the supply that we have been receiving. And yes, it, it will only have to be the Pfizer that we give to our, our younger people. We have to make sure that we get enough of them signed up at the same time, because obviously, you when you open a tray, you can't just partially open it with the Pfizer, you've got to open the whole tray. So we will be trying to communicate by other means that our, our younger generation as a 53-year-old, I should say I'm 54 now, um, I'm, I'm not exactly the best person to be doing communications with the younger generation, so we, we will be looking at all the media, media ways that our younger generation um, find out their news and we'll be communicating that with them and we will be stressing the importance of getting their protection. I think we've all seen the figures that even if you relate problems with the vaccine to um, the, the blood clots, then the chances of, of having um, a serious issue from that compared with getting COVID is still, there's a massive void. You're far better off getting the vaccine and protecting yourselves and, and your loved ones by having that vaccine. It's, as I say, I've said on numerous times, I've had it. It wasn't enjoyable. Long COVID's not enjoyable. And I, I would just reassure everyone the importance no matter what age you, you are, to please get the vaccine. It's there to protect you. And as we've said, we, we, we have to live with COVID. We can't kick COVID off the island forever. We have now moved on to the mitigation of living with it, where the vaccine protects you from getting seriously ill. And it will become like the winter flu jab, where you, I, hopefully you'll just get a jab once a year. And um, that will be how we... Um, protect ourselves and we will regularly say well there's you know covid on on the island but obviously we there's procedures in place and and, and people have been vaccinated and therefore we're not seeing serious issues at, at the hospital i don't dr ewart if you want to come in on on how you communicate better with our younger generation <laughs> yes I, I think um you know the public messaging is is a very fine art because the same message doesn't hit home to all groups but we do have people in our communications team and in our public health team who've got considerable expertise about behavioral sciences, how to do the nudging that um, lands a message for different groups and how to use the techniques of social marketing. So, so that's what we'll, we'll be doing. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you. And thank you very much, Sam. Now we move on to Paul Moulton from Arleman Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good evening, Chief Minister. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to this you've been driven by data and yet you say that you talk to council ministers and suddenly 10 people can meet inside which is great news i think a lot of people just be thinking why not throw full caution to the wind and let everyone open up on on saturday i mean is there any data that drives this or is this just you having your meeting with the rest of the council ministers and thinking okay we can do this now well, we'd, we'd set our sights on Monday. That was the 21 days, Paul. But we'd also, you know, we are human beings after the end of the day, and we'd have received an awful lot of feedback from parents, grandparents saying, look, if, if you're opening up and our children, our grandchildren, for example, are going back to school on the Monday, we're not going to see them hardly until the following weekend. Is there a chance, given the good 
place that we are in as an island, is there a chance that you could possibly help out to let us see our grandchildren, etc., before they go to school? And when you're looking at the data, you think, well, yeah, the data's looking good. We'll hold off till Monday. However, if we can help our society with... Um, and it's only group up to 10, Paul, so it's not everyone being able to go into your house, but 10 people can meet. So if there's five of you in your house, you can have another five people come to visit... But we're just trying to be as helpful as possible. We, we know how tough this last lockdown has been. We're absolutely all of us are fed up with it. And anything that we can do just to help that little bit, um, get a bit of normality. And if it helps families prepare better before all their young ones go back to school or they're setting up their businesses, it may well be that you're wanting to work the entire weekend to, to set up your business so that you can open on Monday. And if, you, if your grandparents' parents can come in and babysit, then it's just trying to be helpful. Um, so, you know, at, at the end of the day, we, we do our best to... to you, you know, look after the community. And you, you, you said on Monday that you hope to have everything open, but you, you're still reticent that you may have to keep some restrictions in place. Can you now tell us what that plan was and why you felt you don't now have to worry about it and open up completely? What, what would you have kept in place if you had to have had to do, well, it might, do that? It, it, we, we were looking at the potential that we might have had to ask people to socially distance the two metres and the wearing of face masks um, for a little bit longer, and therefore clubs, it might have affected restaurants and, and, and pubs. So that's what we were looking at um, as a worst-case scenario. We were going to open up a, a number of, uh, of areas, and we had hoped to go for the whole um, sector, which we have done. But you, you should always... You, you know, this is not a fine art. You've, you've got to interpret the data... The, the, the figures, how is your vaccination programme coming along? And that's why we've been able to announce that we hope to be able to allow family to come and visit in, in just a couple of weeks' time, probably, just slightly longer at the beginning of May. That's because our vaccination programme has really steamrolled ahead exceptionally well the number of vaccinations that we've given, first vaccinations that we've given, uh, over 90% to all our most vulnerable groups. That encouraged us that even if we were to get an outbreak in the near future, that our people are protected enough from the serious risk of, of dying or having to be hospitalised. So that's, that's enabled us to make that decision, Paul. Thanks very much. Next we have Helen McKenna from Isle of Man Newspapers. Good afternoon. I should say good evening now, Helen. Um, fast have I. Good evening, Chief Minister. My first question is for yourself. There is now a COVID memorial wall along the Thames in London. Are there any plans for a permanent memorial to islands to the islands victims of the pandemic? Yeah, it, it, I've had a number of people ask me about having a service or a memorial, and that's something that we will look at. I, I have to say, I've been you know myself and the health minister, the council of ministers, we've been absolutely flat out fighting this terrible illness and ensuring that we protect our people but when the situation starts to ease and we have a little bit more time we will be um, coming up with proposals to commemorate those people who've tragically lost their lives and I know I'm I'm attending a, a service and I think in Solby in the next in a few weeks time um, to hold a service of Thanksgiving we, we did have a service in St George's last year um, for the people who, who'd lost their lives when we had our lengthy um, period of no COVID in the community. So I think it would be fitting to have some form of memorial, but 
I think I want to listen to members of the public's um, views and Timble members, um, and we'll come up with something once we've had a chance to reflect on it, Helen. OK, thank you. My second question is for Dr Hewitt. At the beginning of this lockdown, you said that with regard to the Kent variant of COVID, it wasn't a matter of if, but when it would arrive on the island. Are you of the same opinion with regard to the South African and Brazilian variants? We're still reserving judgment on them at the moment. The thing with the Kent variant was that it had a real advantage over all the other variants that were around in the UK in terms of its transmissibility. So it actually quickly outcompeted all the rest of them to the point that now over 98% of all cases of COVID in the UK are Kent variant. Now, so far, we don't have any signs that South African variant has quite that same competitive edge. So although obviously you'll know from the news that there are concerns about cases and indeed clusters of South African variant in various places in the UK, at the moment there's considerable concern about three boroughs in South London where there are a significant number of cases. There's a case, I think, in the North London borough, one in a West Midlands borough, and I think one further north as well. So those are obviously causes of concern, and that's why the authorities are doing the surge testing around there. But what we don't yet have any evidence of is that it can outcompete Kent and therefore become a problem in the way that Kent did. So, you know, that's one of the things... It we may be proven wrong on there, but at the moment, that's not a headline cause for concern. It looks as if it's going to be more containable and hopefully containable um, in countries other than ours. Although we do need to have a border policy that would enable us to you know, guard against any importation of cases here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, as I've strived to say in, in, in this briefing, Helen, we, um, we, we know we're going to get COVID back on the island we, we can't keep it out forever, and that's why we've really pushed hard with the vaccine programme to give that protection. Now, should a variant come along that needs the vaccine needs tweaking, we know that that can happen. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the first three groups of our high risk need a booster vaccine towards the end of the year. That's been worked on as we speak, and that's what we will see happening on a regular basis. So every year you have your flu vaccine nation or, or a number of people do maybe you're young and healthy it won't happen to you just at this moment in time and every year they have to amend that vaccine to ensure that it's um it can tackle the variant that's doing the rounds in in that given um year so it'll be the same with covid we 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 have well the world has a team of experts working on various vaccines i'm sure you know where we have to accept it will come back to the island, but because we've, vac we've been vaccinated, we've protected all those people who are vulnerable. Hopefully that ensures that we protect the hospital because they won't need to go into the hospital. And therefore, we, we get on with our lives, but we will have to accept that COVID-19, COVID whether it's COVID-24 in the future, we will be living with this for a, a long, long time. Um, just wanted to clarify that one. Okay, next we have Leanne Cook from 3FM. Good after or good evening, Leanne Pastamai. Good evening, Chief Minister. We've had a question from someone who has a child in the UK and has barely been able to see them over the past year. 
They want to visit them, but can't afford to have the two weeks out of work upon their return. They're wanting to know when either the self-isolation period is going to be shortened or if financial help is ever going to be available when they return to Manx Shores. Right. Well, I think the financial support to pay people to go off and, and uh, etc. would just be too much for the economy to bear having to do that. Because once you've set a president, you've set it forever. But I would hope that, as I say, by the beginning of May, um, a um, family members will be able to come to visit the island. And I would hope that if the data is correct, we will be able to reduce the 14 days with tests down to a shorter period with, again, tests. I don't know, Dr Ewart, if you'd like to give any further comment on that. Yes, thank you, Chief Minister. I think that's absolutely right. And that's really um, in the position we got to last summer when the levels of infection across were very low um, and therefore the risk of anyone actually coming across the border who was infected was also similarly low and when you have that you can manage that with a testing regime which might involve in the future testing before people travel and then you can reduce the length of self-isolation that you need when they come on island and that may be something that has to be set at different levels depending on where people have traveled from if they've traveled from areas where there are very high levels of infection and or concerns about the variants of concern that may be able to resist the vaccine then maybe there would be one sort of regime for them um, and a much more relaxed regime in respect of testing and or self-isolation for others so i think all of that is something that can be worked through and it's something that doesn't just sit with us because obviously the vast majority of people arriving here have come from the UK or in more normal times a proportion from Ireland. So there's something about how those countries manage um, the flow of people who've come from third countries through them. And obviously we can adjust according to that in terms of setting our own thresholds. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ewart. And just to let you know, Leanne, we have been working for a little while behind the scenes now on what's known as the traffic light system. And we'll be using that, I should imagine, subject to obviously a debate in Timwald next week. We'll be looking at a traffic light system going forward. Thank you. And my second question is for Dr. Ewart. Um, it's been reported today that in the UK, a group of medics have been saying the likes of pubs, bars and restaurants need to be better ventilated as restrictions are eased. Is this something the Isle of Man will consider, do you think? It's certainly the advice that we're giving already, and that advice for both individuals and businesses has been on the website since the beginning of March. So in case people haven't sort of registered that, um, it would be a good idea if they did. So there's two sides to that, really. Um, for us as members of the public, we should maybe think twice before we go into a, a small, overheated, very crowded, unventilated space. Um, which might be a pub or a club, and we should actually think for ourselves, do I really want to do this? In terms of the business owner, they really need to be thinking about doing a, a simple risk assessment. It's not overly technical or overly complicated, and just thinking, you know, what can they do to mitigate? Actually, over summer, that's, that's reasonably easy, I think, for an awful lot of premises. You can open windows, you can open doors and get a through draft, and if you are a, a hospitality venue, if you've got an outside, 
outside area as well, you can encourage the use of that rather than people congregating inside and staying there for long periods. That will be more problematic coming into next winter, but I think at least over the summer, you know, there is a lot quite simply that everybody can do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. And I think earlier in my speech, I did uh, touch on this topic, and it's the World Health Organization's three C's, and that's crowded spaces, confined spaces, and close contact situations. We are moving from a situation where government has had to step in, sadly, to people's lives to get us through this co these, this. 14-month period. We are stepping out of your lives now, but it will be up to you as an individual to decide for yourself how you're going to handle um, COVID infections going forward. The vaccination will give you a level of protection, but you need to think about um, ensuring that you, um, if you want to wear a face mask, that's fine. If, if you want to Consider where you go, and as Dr. Hubert has said, crowded spaces, confined spaces and close contact. That has to be a risk that you have to decide for yourself whether you're prepared to put yourself through it. Also, we are encouraging businesses to ensure that buildings are as well ventilated as possible to ensure that um, we do everything we can to reduce the chances of a um, significant COVID outbreak on, on the island. <clears throat> Right, thank you for that, Leanne. Last but not least, we have Tim Glover from Manx Radio. Good evening, Tim. Fast am I. Fast am I. Uh, good evening. Um, we've got a House of Keys sitting today, and we knew it was going to be a long sitting as well today. We're in a democracy. Would it not have been best to make this announcement about the easing of restrictions in the House of Keys today with a press briefing tomorrow where we could have put the public's questions to the health and education ministers as well. And have you got the speaker's permission to be doing this briefing? Well, I did ask for permission to leave at four o'clock. Um, it, it was refused and I did make a statement to all Timwald members letting them know what was being said. We had promised to do the briefing at four. We had, I had hoped it would have been over by now. That wasn't the case. I think if we make a statement live, uh, in, in Keys, where we'd promised the public that we were going to be making an announcement today, then it would only have been Manx Radio who would have been able to um, broadcast it. And we have a significant number of other journalists who we want this to be spread as far and wide as possible so people know what's going on. And we, I felt it was only fair that we gave the briefing rather than just having one person um, and no opportunity for media to ask questions. I, I get criticised, Tim, if I don't allow the media to ask me questions. And here you are saying maybe I shouldn't have allowed the media to ask questions and just make an announcement. So uh, it's, um, I've, I've done my best to, to look after the people of the island with the, you know, announcing this. I was saying we could have asked the other ministers more of the public's questions at a briefing tomorrow, so I wasn't saying not to have that. Second question uh, is, we've had a, a very slow uh, and it's still ongoing rollout of uh, an ME service here on the Isle of Man, and the link between ME and long COVID has been uh, made. Does this now gain a bigger priority because... ME sufferers on the island and long COVID sufferers, they all have different, I know, uh, versions of those uh, illnesses. But does it, is this now a priority for the government to get something in place to look after these people? Well, it'll be the Manx Healthcare Trust now, um, Tim, who 
are, are now formed and effectively running their health service. But yes, as, as the Chief Minister, and I have to say not just because I've got long COVID, but because it is recognised that uh, it, it is something we're going to be living with. But it's also extra resources for um, mental health because we know that this last 14 months has really um, caused an awful lot of stress to people and impacted uh, high levels of, of mental health. So ME and long COVID are areas that obviously we are going to have to work together as an island to, to enable ourselves to give the people the best protection that we can. Because I've, I've said on a number of occasions that there are scars out there, Tim, that we don't yet know about. Um, it, this will take, I've said it's going to take a couple of years to get our economy back to where we were um, pre-COVID. And knowing the problems that our, our, our people of our nation are, are affected and, and how they're affected, we will need to um, draw up strategies on how to deal with ME and long COVID. Dr Hewitt, would you like to comment at, at all? Uh, yes, thank you, Chief Minister. Uh, I am able to say that there is a working group that is established looking at um, the pathways and services for long COVID. And we've got a meeting coming up in the next week or two. Um, there is very good guidance from the National Institute of Health and Clinical Excellence across, which will give us the blueprint to work from. There are some issues around people who have respiratory symptoms in the weeks following COVID, um, where there is now very good evidence about the sort of investigations and potential interventions that they need. And then, of course, there are the people who go on for varying lengths of time. Unfortunately, the number of people affected does drop off over time, although for some people it is a very prolonged process and they do need the right support, um, which will be based on a multidisciplinary team to do a an overall assessment and then really referring people into those services or providing them with support for self-management um, that is appropriate to their particular constellation of symptoms because it can vary quite a lot between individuals so it's not one size fits all yeah. but the work on that is is underway thank you thank you very much dr uh, uh, Dr Hewitt and thank you very much Tim right, thank and you. thank you very much for your questions I've spoken a great deal today about the importance of our vaccination programme yesterday we marked 100 days since it began during that time we've administered more than 63,000 doses of vaccine we owe a debt of gratitude to everyone involved this remarkable journey has been tracked in a video which we will show in a moment at the end of the briefing this weekend we begin the next chapter in this pandemic at times, COVID has kept us apart, but it has also brought us together. This pandemic has tested our community, but in doing so, it has strengthened it. We have been in this together, and we must come through this together. We must continue to draw on the strength and resolve for which our Manx nation was forged. My thanks to every one of you who have done this to get us where we are. Our success is down to you. Before I finish a final appeal, Please continue to do the right thing. The virus will return. Please do remain vigilant. If you have any COVID-like symptoms, please don't ignore them. Self-isolate right away and contact 111 for advice and to arrange a test. Stay safe and have a great weekend. Thank you all very much.